0: the fantastic women and where to find them podcast podcasting with you today is myself tracy and i'm here with priscilla hello guys welcome back and it's a beautiful sunday morning finally in, uh, sunny dublin finally finally is yes. right so we're sitting here having cocktails and ready to tell you about two fantastic women and, and i like i'm on cocktail duty today so i'm gonna yes I'll I'll probably talk about my cocktail in a minute, but Priscilla, do you want to give a quick brief on how the episode will go for any new listeners?
1: Yes. So for any new listeners out there, welcome to our show. So basically what we do is that every episode we talk about two women. Nobody knows uh, who the other person is going to talk about, so that's a, a really nice surprise. So we always try to bring a cocktail to the table, like Trey was saying just a moment ago. Uh, she uh, is on cocktail duty today, so it's her duty to present a cocktail that is uh, thematically related with the woman who she's going to talk about. And something that we r- really like to Uh, do or play is that we always after she reveals her woman and how the cocktail is related to the theme of the woman I always well whoever the person is not bringing the cocktail we always try to you know correlate or reconcile both both, uh, themes together so Mm. that's that I think that's my favorite part to be honest with you like definitely to discover whoever you're going to talk about but I always try to um how am I going to you know reconcile that fact but anyway that's that's basically the gimmick and I'm always always like intrigued and happy to learn
0: so like Priscilla usually brings a woman from the past and I bring one from the present and obviously they could be anybody so that's why like when we bring two women there's always something to relate them or yes. to you know that some connection they have, whether we force it after a few cocktails
1: or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the whole point is though, it's it, we always win. That's and
0: yeah, yeah. We always win. Uh, Viva la revolution.
1: You know, yeah. just uh,
0: you know. To be fair, you know, there's there's usually we do have similar interests and similar themes, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, they're women from all over the world, so you know, uh, they're fantastic for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And, um, it's always good to see how they connect in some way. The cocktail today that we're drinking is, um, Priscilla got the ingredients the other day um, from me, and it's um, green tea. You can have leaves or tea bags, and obviously boiling water and mint, and a few tablespoons of honey and lemon and ice and sparkling water, and you can add vodka or not. So, and then a few like little bit of, uh, fluff on the top for uh, a bit of, yeah. bit of uh, aesthetic pleasure <laughs> a few mint a few <laughs> pomegranate seed type things um, to make it look Instagram worthy I guess
1: <laughs> I put on mine I know that I think yeah in the description for yours it says pomegranate seeds and mine I just use red pepper con- corn from Brazil oh my god it yeah. looks the exact same I thought you yeah. actually did a pomegranate that's gas. Cool. So, yes, yeah, no, 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 it's actually pomegranate. It's not, uh, forget about what I said about the red pepper. <laughs> if you believe it's pomegranate, everyone will believe it's pomegranate. Um, so you
0: can see Bricello's uh, photo on Instagram at some point and you can tell everybody. Oh, uh, you Reveal. have to,
1: we have to show yours because uh, Trey's, when Trey showed me the picture of hers, it looks so pretty. It looks like uh, for an, I don't know, for like an afternoon tea kind of vibe. Or in this case, the morning tea.
0: Yeah, like like you drink this cold, but um I went really hipster on it and I put mine into a teacup. My drink oh. is in a teapot and I put it in yeah. my drink into it. I poured it's it into a so teacup. So, um but because the name of this cocktail is um uh Moroccan mint iced tea. Oh, okay. Um, So that's why I put it in the teacup. And um, so the woman I'm going to talk about today is from Morocco. And I might link back to the cocktail in a little bit. But basically to remember that you can put vodka in it or not. That's up to you. So I am talking about a female rapper from Morocco today. Oh, okay. And um, so her name is Sultana, which is her kind of her rap name, and uh, she's kind of the first Arab woman rapper, kind of, Um, and she's from Morocco, and she sings kind of subversive songs about prostitution and the patriarchy, and she also encourages women's independence, so you can can see why she, why I got triggered. (laughs) So uh, her hit single would really be the voice of women. It's kind of like uh, it's it's almost like her anthem, but um, yeah, like uh, you know, she says things like that's all like she gave him money, love, and life. He gave her lies and violence. This is the Moroccan woman. This is one of a million. So she kind of raps mm-hmm. about the challenges facing women in in Morocco and uh, things like illiteracy, poverty, domestic violence, and daily harassment on the street. So. You know, it's 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 interesting, you know, in like that kind of Middle East, North Africa kind of area where, mm-hmm. as you might imagine, gender issues are very much intertwined with political and economic yes. and social and cultural and religious <laughs> affairs. So so when you think about it, a female rapper would be like facing big, big odds, big odds. So <laughs> like it's hard enough to break into the male dominated rap scene anyway, but yeah, um, but uh, Sultana has and she has paved the way for a new generation of women rappers, of female rappers. And they've kind of like redefined the sound a little as well and the themes and the aesthetic of it. And they kind of brought their own unique and multifaceted heritage to it. So, um, you know, in general, you know, we love a story where women continue to break into the different fields that are used to be restricted only to yes. men. And rap would definitely be one of those, as uh, as I'm sure we can all agree. So, like, she was born into, like, a lower middle class family and she had no form of music training. But, you know, she kind of became aware of hip hop when she was studying English. Because, obviously, hip hop and rap would be very Western thing, you know. And yes. um, she kind of mi- merged that with, like, drawing inspiration from, like, the streets of where she lived. Mm-hmm. So um, she kind of rose to international prominence, as well as part of a Moroccan girl group called Tigris Flow and
1: okay. then
0: after that she became uh, a solo artist. So she started out with a few other Moroccan women in Tigris Flow uh, when they were still teenagers in 2005 and they yeah. established the first women's rap band in the Arab world and they they performed at, like the boulevard of young musicians at Casablanca and they were well known for cool. their um, two main songs which were like Maghrebia which I'm not saying properly which is Moroccan girl and yeah. kifat which uh how what um, like they, they, these women like they trained as receptionists, flight attendants at criminal lawyers but then they couldn't get a job so in those fields so they just tried a career in music and it actually worked out quite well for them at first you know um, their lyrics don't really contain the swearing or sexual references or the bullying attitude of that kind of u.s rap scene yeah. you know yeah. um, they claimed them as in they claimed them as inspirations yes but uh, their style was a bit closer to french rap with um you know kind of spare drum beats and really dour <laughs> really like like social critique. Yeah.
1: So um yeah. their,
0: their lyrics addressed like violence, unemployment, poverty, um, and advocated more for rights for for Moroccan women and um obviously Morocco's Kingdom, there's the king at the head of it, but um and then like they kind of stood out anyway because a lot of the male rappers in Morocco would probably at at the time really emphasize traditional values and a conservative lifestyle you know Mm -hmm. so um because it was interesting anyway the fact that rap was starting to take on in Morocco you know because a lot of people went and studied abroad and brought it back and obviously you have very um a very strong tradition and culture with their um with their music so then when bringing in this kind of western music obviously met with some resistance at the start anyway Mm-hmm. What they said, Tigris Flow said, most of our fans are women and they are who we're aiming at. We rap about the problems of our generation, about like unemployment, violence, but also about joy and all the good times we've had together. And they mostly rap in their like country's home tongue, like that kind of Moroccan Arabic. Mm-hmm. And so kind of re- to reflect their, their diverse heritage in Morocco, like Arabic, French, Spanish and Berber as well. So they, the group made headlines in 2008 after it won a prize, at the national music festival in Morocco. And the prize was supposed to be a big sum of money that would help them continue to create music, make music mm-hmm. videos, get a manager, that kind of thing. But yeah. they're just not getting it. They didn't receive it because Morocco doesn't recognize it. Wait, did they, did they win? They won and they were not given the prize.
1: What? Why?
0: Because so, they were Because, no, 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 God, no, no. It was because, oh. it, was, uh, because it was rap. They didn't see it as an art worthy of oh. compensation or support so oh. they, like so the festival so as part of the award that they festival organized to pay for the group's first album and the video and uh like the, like tigers flow were really hoping to go abroad and you know yeah. go abroad so um and they didn't really have a lot of money so this festival is one of the growing number of well-funded music festivals and they kind of have this whole idea of like promoting an image of tolerance and modernity in Muslim North African Kingdom yeah. but and like it would be a big festival like Kylie and that one Kylie Minogue um, Alicia Keys and like tens of thousands of people oh. had it and you know so I like you know uh, so like there's obviously the little bit of like there's Moroccan like you know uh, islamist politicians and they would denounce pop concerts as Mm -hmm. encouraging immoral behavior blah 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 heavy drinking promiscuity that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and but separate to that they like it's probably the culture ministry kind of just rap is all about challenging the social and political order and probably just saw it as a threat and recognizing it as a legitimate kind of form of art would probably mean giving it a f- platform and recognising the legitimacy of the messages. Yeah. Yeah. So and the current regime was not on board with that. So mm-hmm. they were denied the prize money. Um they had won and I think one newspaper commented like people thought the group of rebellious girls would go on stage, leave the stage and simply disappear. So like it's really sad because I was like reading an interview with them like just before the, the thing and they were like, you know, our next song, Mama Africa will be in blah blah blah, and we don't yes, make enough money to get by without help from our families, but it's coming together now, thanks to God, and they were just so excited about mm. it. So, the group itself ended up like it didn't survive, but it wasn't just because of their economic kind of issues with money or yeah. whatever, but also because there started to become like professional artistic differences among its yeah. members. So, Sultana uh, kind of came out of this group and She said it took me a long time to just say yes I'm a singer and an artist and I hope the day that I stop performing the um the way will already be paid for other women so I want them to be able to choose this profession so she went off as a solo artist so I think her name is Yusra Okaf um she's about our age she's like 33 34 now and she's been around for like 10 15 years and like Her rap is really characterized by passionate lyrics, and um, she's also very, like, could come across very aggressive in the songs, you know, very angry. and She's very outspoken and an advocate of social change, and she is a feminist. (laughs) Well, that's
1: Uh, why it wouldn't surprise me why she sounds, well, passionate or angry, but that's because that's the message she wants to empower. Not to be, you know, rage, but I could... maybe I can understand a bit of why she's bringing that message that way because she wants to bring that right or she wants to bring that message to everyone so they can see the injustice that they're living or be, just just like you were saying, the struggle for women.
0: Yeah, and, I, and that's it. I and mean, obviously, you know, the whole idea of women saying, you know, we're either half nude or we're demur, demure and submissive, you know, yeah. it, um, yeah. it's all to do with kind of the male gaze, but you know she just goes out loose clothes and just raps and is very kind of like like she like scathing critiques of like like her raps are cool I would encourage you to listen to I'm not a big fan of rap but I was listening to her songs and like in some of them you can get kind of English subtitles which Mm -hmm. I know if they didn't that's totally fine as well you know that's um it's it's in their language, it's for those women, you know, um, but it's really it's really it interesting to just... capture
1: the emotion. Anyway, I'll say yeah. that I have listened to music from even before I learned English. I would love to listen to English music, even that sometimes at that time I wouldn't understand the lyrics, but you can understand the, pa- the passion in a way. Yeah, I think so. you have that sense. Or even right now, that if you listen to K-pop or even French music, or like as an example, uh, yeah, you
0: exactly. Actually, like yeah.
1: it, will enjoy it anyway. So it doesn't matter. Like yeah. I think music transcends any language at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and like you do, you pick up what's going on, obviously, in her in her music, and
1: yeah. you know
0: she's just kind of uh, it's the treatment of women in Moroccan society, and she's big against the whole street harassment that a lot of women in Morocco face, yeah. and also gender-based violence so like Mm um like when i say she does not hesitate to express fierce criticism you know and patriarchy and like she keeps doing it in her own society even though you know there's probably a bit of danger what she's doing you know and as i said she like uh she wears loose clothes um she you know it's, um, to her back to the cocktail when I said you could put vodka in it or not you know obviously in Morocco they don't really drink there, they don't drink alcohol Um, mm. but some alcohol could be available if you're in the bigger, if you're in Marrakesh or somewhere you know people yeah. would probably they drink they're more likely to drink in the bigger cities yeah. but um, as, as in general they don't really drink there So, uh, but her as well on stage she like sometimes wears a baseball cap as is typical of the genre but sometimes other times she wears the traditional head covering so um you know that you know
1: kind of pictures yeah
0: like so it's kind of like a statement she's like signaling to the religious women in the arab world that's possible to do to work and create to be expressive you know so um you know so like it's so with you could have the drink with alcohol or without. She could wear the baseball mm-hmm. cap or she could wear her traditional headdress, you know, and, you know.
1: It's the freedom of yeah. expression, yeah.
0: Exactly. And, like, it takes a lot to go on stage and perform these kind of subversive yeah. dances and moves. And, and, like, she's very, like, she moves very confidently. She's very powerful. She's her body. She uses her whole body. And she presents, like, really harsh right. and complex messages. Yeah. And, feminism and she she says like you know she she speaks about it through her statements but not through her body the rage just comes out of her body I think <laughs> but um, but she say like um you know I don't you know some people might think she comes across a little bit masculine um um but she, like you know because she doesn't do the dress and hair and makeup thing in her um like you know in her routine like if you were to look yeah. at it a very like you know, black and white kind of binary kind of way. It's, um,
1: yeah, I know what
0: you but mean. She's, but she's like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what's important to me or the positions I represent. It doesn't matter what women wear or don't wear, or whatever, it you know. It
1: doesn't make her less of a woman. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. And uh, be obviously some parts, uh, not most of Morocco be very traditional anyway. So... Yeah. And obviously she's expressing criticism and, you know, very publicly, very loudly um, against the status of women in Arab society. So, um, you know, it does create, she needs to generate a lot of uh, energy around that. So she talks a lot about women's voices. Uh, like I was like watching, listen to an interview with her and she was just saying, you know, women around the world face the same problems. So she's like, I feel women. I just feel women. I feel what all women are thinking of feeling, I just feel it, because all women around the world are facing the same problems. And she said hip-hop kind of gave her the confidence to face up to people and to face up to men. And she said, like, she'd be in a supermarket and a women would come up to her and say, you're singing what we want to sing. And she said that she sees hip-hop and rap as a way to show the uh, voices of the people and, um, I like she loved like she loves Morocco. like she's like Morocco's best country in the world, but it has problems, just like any other country. And Absolutely. you know, fifty percent of those are government, fifty percent are the people. And she said, if you change a little in the people around you, they will change a little in the people around them, and mm. you'll just create a little bit of change.
1: yeah, so
0: obviously, the social political issues issues taken from everyday life and you know she's like my music isn't about love betrayal and heartbreak it's about my life and her hard life in Morocco and um you know women's voice one of her songs it was talking about the phenomenon of prostitution in Morocco and what her lyrics are like along the lines of like on your face she saw her lost life you saw her as a cheap woman in your face she saw what she could have been you gave her a scornful look she sells her body because there is a buyer you oh. <laughs> and then she's like she could have been your mother your sister this is who she is but she could have been me and she also could have been you um yeah. because like it's kind of like women in morocco uh like there's a lot of Harassment whenever they go out in public, and like sometimes it's like name calling, just call, or cat calling, or just, yeah. You know, yeah, like and just calling women whore, whores or prostitutes. Oh, okay. And she said, "Oh, like in fairness, in Morocco, like women are fighting this kind of abusive yeah. misogynistic culture, and a number of Moroccan women have stood up to their abusers, and you know." As uh, Sultana said, the the men who pay prostitutes to satisfy them are the men who call you on the street and harass you and call you a prostitute. They use these women. That and surprising really, yeah. Yeah, like that. That woman just wants to make a living for her family, like you know, and so. And like, there's little things like uh, there's there's a lot of kind of stuff happening in, like like say, you know, the streets were seen as the male kind of area. So like sitting in cafes and then the houses and stuff were kind of the women's area. That's changing now, especially in urban cities, I was saying earlier about Marrakech, Tangier, Casablanca, you know, it's more socially acceptable to be mixing or whatever. But there's also a huge demand now to uphold the law to ensure the safety of women and to punish abusers. So even though the law kind of protects women from abuse, the real problem is 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 the pursuing or application of it, yeah. as we've seen in countries all over the world.
1: So yeah, the real problem is that you don't educate men to respect women. And yeah. just just to like intertwine what you were saying about the women who are being sex workers or prostitutes, they just want to make a living to survive to help their families or help help themselves. And how do you expect them, like going back to what you're saying about the um, Sultana's group before she was, you know, a solo artist, how can you expect all these women with all these professions, uh, they want to pursue their profession, but the government itself doesn't allow them. So what other options do they have outside, you know, from from what you were saying about them?
0: Yeah, like I think there's, you know, there's a lot more freedom in Morocco than, people in the West might think, you know, there's mm-hmm. cause of the whole Islam thing, you know, or, you yeah. know, there's more than people think, but there are some aspects of society that are very, very like, like this kind of street kind of sexual harassment and yeah. prostitution. And, um, like in 2018, a law went into effect that banned sexual harassment in public places and also had a ban on forced marriage and harsher penalties for certain forms of violence mm-hmm. but the other side of it is just like any law enacted in this way it's it requires victims to file for criminal prosecution to get protection mm-hmm. so you know there's that kind of side of it but so she, she sultana obviously is to go back to uh, sultana she In 2015 she collaborated with other male rappers and uh, in an interview she said I also talk to men, I talk to young men. It's intentional that I perform with male rappers, you know, that way I know men will listen to me and to my messages as well. And uh, she has been invited to a lot of countries. She's performed in a lot of Arab countries. Mm -hmm. And she's performed in Germany and the United States. And she talks about, you know, her art, making music, rapping in Arabic and above all, like being an Arab woman who raps. (laughs) Um, and she is at the moment working to establish an organization that will institutionalize rock and rap music. So she's hoping to set up record studios, broadcast channels, production companies, that kind of thing, centers for young people that will allow them to make yeah. music. And a lot of other women have um, have come out from this like they've kind of emerged from under her wing Mm -hmm. and um like like when you follow this line it's absolutely class like it's a you know just uh, what comes out of it like you know what what is it um like these feminist like musicians or Mm -hmm. Feminist Panthers is what they refer to in one of, uh, one of the articles I read. And, like, they're heard by millions, like, you know, at this point. Like, they're very, very internationally famous, you know. Um, and, like, as, like, I just didn't realise that, like, you know, because I'm not being into rap, I just didn't realise.
1: Yeah. Like, they
0: express kind of problems that rock women face in a patriarchal society and their own positions as women and their, you know, they also talk about their personal problems. They also wore a lot of loose clothing to de-emphasise kind of sexuality typically attributed to female performers mm-hmm. and that kind of female body. And for a while they were, you know, like, now I think it has moved on a little bit to the more kind of mainstream U S kind of look of, you know, um, uh, stereotypical kind of one. But, you know, at this point of time coming out from her, it was, um, it was, uh, it was interesting to see how they brought the Moroccan context into it. You know, I had, uh, one of them, uh, Moroccan student, I think her tech or something is how she like, she went viral in February. And, uh, she's like, I'm a woman in a land of dicks. is one of her. <laughs> yeah. So she's like covered in tattoos. She has blue hair, blue hair, obviously the kingdom's traditions, you know, really fly in yeah. the face of it. And uh, Like yeah. she says, like, um, you know uh, defying tradition and she talks about inequality and sort of sexual hierarchies and uh, her stage name in the Morocco vernacular means your sister but she says my rap is a voice for those who don't have one and like mm. like it's still illegal to be homosexual in Morocco and you there's it's, it's a it's a crime it's punishable uh you could end up for 15 years in prison um Obviously, the violence against women, as I said earlier, forced marriage, sexual harassment have been criminalized as well, though. So, um, and, you know, like, it, like this only like women's kind of rights kind of came in after from around 1960 or, or so, like in, in like when Morocco gained its independence from France and Moroccan women were starting to go to schools and that kind of thing but like you know it, it was the same as a lot of countries and then in 2004 there was a legal code kind of written in and women obtained the rights to divorce their husbands to child custody to child support and to own and inherit property um and that was you know, just 16 years ago yes <laughs> um, oh, no. so you know th- th- there's been a journey um so, like, so they get, because obviously before that, like, I mean, you, you hear about kind of women would be in these harems, you know, harems. Yes. And, you know, like, as they just in these multi homes and men would have a lot of wives and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. So after that, like, they did kind of being able to leave to go to school, not just to learn about religion, but to actually learn. Was a big something, step, you know,
1: else, yeah.
0: Um so, you know, like they have been like Morocco has been advancing somewhat. Um, and also like after the independence from France, like Moroccan women were very much the forefront of kind of like artistic expression. And this kind of conception of a post-colonial kind of Moroccan identity. I like, um, so women did, like they came to the forefront in artistic expression and, you know, they're well-known, uh, they have well-known female kind of uh, literary figures as well, you know, for gender studies and publishing books in English and gaining international yeah. popularity, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's some increase in representation of politics, Um but obviously, which has helped a lot and there's a bit a lot of advocacy projects and legal reforms and like so that like women in Morocco are, you know, they're they're out there, they're strong. They're, you know, advocates for change yeah. um, and, you know, like not just from artistic expression, but in general, they like, you know, and they're, you know, they're, they're seen, they're visible, they're being seen, yeah. you know, they and, seen as well. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, there's a lot of, there's years of tradition that they, in some cases, are fighting against, you know. So, like, so in general, Arab rappers, anyway, that's like, uh, you know, whether it's female or male, they are challenging these kind of conservatives, conservative ideals. And they're kind of, like, in general, they articulate the fury of, like, you know, disenfranchised. And like protest songs became huge anthems in the demonstrations that toppled leaders in Algeria, Sudan, Iraq. So you know, there's there's a like protest songs and that you know, um like it'll continue to probably be affected by new like pop trends. But, Mm. you know, Muslim and many other rappers are continuing to raise awareness of social issues like poverty, corruption and freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And female rappers are challenging the taboos of a patriarchal society. And um, as Katek said, the blue haired tattooed one said, Mm. I rap for queers and the discriminated. And um, some challenge officials and the police and, you know, like, let them continue and, uh, be, you know, uh, see, see what comes out of it. Mm. So, uh, like, you know, they're still like, they're being detained for, you know, I think there was uh, a Saudi Arabia, like, they detained a rapper because of her track Girls of Mecca and Syria was chased. Most of his rappers abroad, um, surprising. Egypt kind of bands, rap songs that include profanities. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so rap has become kind of quite a political tool, and um, I was just really, really interested in the journey of rap in Morocco anyway. And yeah. then the journey of female rappers was just incredibly interesting. The music is. Great, And I would highly recommend to even just, even if yes, you just went on to YouTube and put YouTube. rock and rap into it. Yeah. So Sultana, Sultana has, has, you know, she started something and it's, um, you know, she, she kept going. going yeah. And uh, I just thought she, so she's who I bring it today, um, the Moroccan female rapper. And uh, I think she's fantastic and very engaging. And I really enjoyed her her music.
1: Yeah, like definitely. I, I would love to listen about her. I was just, when you were talking about her, I just Google her, you know, images of her. And you were right, like she seems to praise the way of, you know, that loose rapper attire, like in... Honestly, maybe if you wouldn't say that she's from Morocco, I will think, oh, maybe she's from another uh, another country or maybe another Western country because of the way that she's dressed, like kind of like yeah, like a like a female rapper. But then now that you say obviously you it's she's from Morocco, you, you that's the thing like, oh an Arab woman uh, you know, singing rap. But I think that's a very refreshing image image that she's one want, she wants to bring the movement, she wants to, you know share a message of equality for women uh, she's singing uh, towards what's happening with social injustice political uh, injustice and I think that's very important nothing wrong with you know other female rappers that maybe what well, at least from you see on the tv or you know anywhere um, like you know the western rappers or even the rappers that are in the states like Nicki Minaj uh, mm. Missy Elliott or Cardi B you name it and I mean it, it's completely different and I think that's really refreshing nothing wrong what they do they like they have also very powerful lyrics but I think there's a difference um in between and I heard that of uh, French rappers as well they they sing a lot about um you know political injustice yeah. but if you hear back ra- you know rappers back in the states, like in the early stages they also rap about political- yeah justice because it's all about like uh one of the very you know about needless to say about the police brutality yeah yeah. and i think it's very important that i mean it 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 came from the urban
0: poor it always comes from the urban poor who have been trod upon for so long and it's their form of
1: expression form
0: of protest
1: and it should be praised and it should be listened So like for sure, I will maybe I will never understand, but at least I can see what they're doing and you can blatantly see the tangible struggle they have. And they want to translate it in powerful lyrics that they could be spread worldwide. And I hope she keeps doing that. I mean, Mm it's bravo. Honestly, bravo for her. And cheers to your woman. Cheers to Sultana. cheers,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Refreshing cocktail. Actually, I think the mint and the sparkling water makes it really, really refreshing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really mm-hmm. glad now. Um it's a good Sunday morning drink.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: especially with this beautiful day. I know I'm so excited to go outside.
1: <laughs> no, you're excited to keep uh to keep talking about this women. That's what you were saying. Yes, that too.
0: <laughs> that too. But also just walk in the sun for the one day of sun we get all year. Yeah. Uh, although it's about time. It's mid July, like we should we yeah.
1: should
0: we should have some sun.
1: Hi everyone, we are back from our break and it is again a beautiful morning. I know we cannot stress enough how yeah. a beautiful day it is because again, we live in Ireland. Ireland has a very manky manky weather, cold humid weather pretty much the whole year. So every time when you can have a bit of sunshine, everybody's happy. I am happy, Trey's happy. Everyone's a good form, yeah. yeah. Plus we're drinking cocktails and we're having a good time. So... Trey, it is now time to reveal my woman who couldn't be, when you were bringing your woman, by the way, thank you, she, uh, Sultana sounds amazing, I cannot wait to listen to her music, even just a bit, just to have an idea where she's coming from and everything, I think that, I think what she's doing is pretty cool with the movement. Uh, with the movement that she, you know, the feminist movement she she's bringing, it's fantastic. But the more that you were talking about her, I was thinking, Jesus, it's so completely different from my woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, not in a bad way, definitely. It's just like, it's completely different. However, I think my woman deserves some recognition from what I have uh, researched, from what I have read from her story. It's worth knowing. And I'm going to talk about a woman who actually, a listener, very dear in my heart, uh, recommended her to me. I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to talk about another artist, which I think that's where we can at least (laughs) link link our women. Uh, I'm going to bring another artist to the table. She was a pioneer in in the fine arts of the Impressionism movement in Paris. And I'm going to talk about... Bert part pardon my French. I'm not really good with French, but I'll give it a go. So Bert Morisot for listeners who might know, maybe art connoisseurs, I honestly, I don't know about you, Trey, I really enjoy art. I am not a big connoisseur myself. I, I enjoy looking at paintings, looking at sculptures, going to museums. Whenever I visit one, I really enjoy, you know, getting a grasp of what the artist is trying to portray, I I, I honestly enjoy that. So maybe when you hear the word impression, impressionism, uh, even if you don't know, if you even if you only have a hint what impressionism is, or what that wave of art is, the people will think, oh, Monet, Manet, yeah. and Cezanne, uh, Degas, those are the kind of artists, male artists, who will you think? But very more so what a lot of people don't know is that she actually presented her work her presenting her art and her techniques even before Cla- Claude Monet mm. so and a lot of people don't know about that so I think it was very important to talk about her story and in a way her upbringing what I was trying to say about how opposite from you know the life Sultana had first of all first of all because Bert Morisot she came from a very accommodated affluent French family She was actually uh, born, was born in Bourges, France. I hope I'm pronouncing again the name on January 14, 1841. So that was in the 19th century. So, like I said, she came from a very, very high society, high class family in France. And pretty much most of her life, she lived in this district of Paris, which is called, I think, Passy. Passy, it's a very affluent district to actually to this day is one of the most famous you know arrondissements for shopping and high class so that's where that's where her wor- world was she was very accommodating she needed she actually was her bringing along with her sister she was the youngest of three was you know marry rich have a very comfortable life um however that doesn't mean that her parents didn't you know want her to pursue her art or her passion which was to be a painter um her parents wanted her to pursue her career what she wanted to do so like I said needless to say she didn't need to have that she had all the means that she wanted for her but they decided that she wanted to they wanted to give her um a painter or an artist studio in their garden her sisters and her were very fortunate because they were able to build this sort of art studio for them. And not only that, at the same time, they allowed uh, allowed them um, to study with one of the best masters of the art at that time, one who was very famous in the 19th century. It's a, another French painter uh, named Jean-Baptiste Camille Corot. So hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right. But uh, he was the uh, a very a prominent French master at the time. He was very famous. I have seen some of his paintings when I was re- researching about Morisot. Uh, he was very famous for painting outdoors. So that's when she started to pursue that. Uh, she was uh, first painting outdoors, uh, have very light... Uh, brush strokes in in her work and another thing that he was recommend her to do was like go to the Louvre try to see you know the paintings that you're more interested in and just try to copy them just so you can practice so a lot of the pictures or you know the artwork she has done when in her early work it's a lot of like outdoor paintings but you can see the uh, evolution of her mastery from going to just simple sketches or paintings to doing those very, you know, you have seen impressionism paintings. Yeah. Yeah. So you will see this kind of strokes. They are, it's very debatable. A lot of people don't like impressionism. I honestly do like them because it's what you at the end of the day is what you interpret of what the painting is. So yeah, I really like that. So she was one of the first uh artists who actually bring uh that type of artistry or that type of technique uh in, in the 19th century. So she actually in it was in 1864 when she started to exhibit for the first time in a highly esteemed Salon in Paris and this one actually one of the what, what a Salon was, at least I didn't know what a Salon was, it's basically a very kind of like a, um, art gallery at the end of the day mm. that the government sponsored so and, and this one is actually and it's an annual exhibition of the Academy the of Art in Paris or I think it's also called Academy of Fine Arts in Paris so her work was selected for exhibition in six subsequent salons in until in 1874 when she joined the rejected impressionist in the first of their own exhibitions which one this one actually is what I was saying that include uh Paul Cezanne, Hector, H- Edgar Degas, Claude, Claude Monet, Camille Pissarro and, I, and Renoir and it's very interesting because uh a, like I said before when I was doing the research you see a lot about uh oh, Monet, Monet, Degas, but you don't see her name a lot. And then when they start to recognize and recognize her more, they they mention her as one of the three great names of impressionism, which they are considered the only three women aside from her, well including her that are recognized in impressionism in the impressionism wave is Marie Bracquemond and Marie Cassatt, who is an American. Other than that, there's no, I mean, recognized worldwide, there's no one else. Okay. Three. So, yeah, exactly. And only three. And I'm sure there were more, but um it was a it was a really maybe with struggle It's not a well, struggling what she performed because at that time, like I said, even though her parents weren't to her wanted for her to pursue her well, not career, because again, they didn't think it was a career for a woman to be a painter. They just thought, oh, it's just a hobby. It's just something mm-hmm. that she needs to do to develop their her womanhood or whatnot. But actually she just otherwise. She actually wanted to pursue painting in a way as her profession. So that's why she, you know, was instructed by a master. French artist, and she wanted to pursue that as what her passion was. But going back to her other sisters, when um, I think one of her sister' name was Ed- Edma, uh, she was also very good herself, they will do the ty- type of painting as in, you know, landscape or femininity as women doing nor- normal chores or women, you know, in portrait, self-portraits or women with children, gardens and whatnot. But the thing is that when Edma married, uh, she she just stopped painting. The same with the other sister. Like they were really great, from what I I saw in the paintings from the other work of them, you can tell that there was there was talent in the family, and they could absolutely yeah. pursue um, that career. Um, I listened to a conference yesterday in from a, an art historian, and she was saying that actually comparing the paintings from the other sisters and Ber, uh, they were all very talented. Edma was probably could have been more talented than Bert, but as soon as she married, she just stopped. And but Bert didn't want that, so Bert actually took a long time for her to get married. I mean, to the 19th century, have a woman, even with her means and power, not married at 33, you yeah. can't imagine. Like what the, art, what the art historian was saying was that her mother, like Bert's mother, was like desperate. She was desperate <laughs> to have her marry because please, you need to marry someone. But Bert, like she didn't want. She said, "I'm not gonna marry any." men that as soon as I you know get married they're gonna you know make me stop painting so that's why it took so long and also the other thing they were saying it's not because it's gonna sound very is that the word frivolous it might sound that way uh that that because she was pretty like from the pictures I saw from her she was a very pretty woman rich woman high class like there was no problem for her to have male suitors at her door, but she was refusing to marry anyone who will, you know, stop her from pursuing her dreams. Mm-hmm. So it was until, like I said, in when she was 33 years of age, when she married actually Eugene um, Manet. Eugene Manet actually is the brother and colleague of Edouard Manet. Edouard Manet, as maybe some people will know, is a very famous, prominent painter of the impressionism wave as well. Edouard Monet actually has very uh, some paintings that are very uh famous. One of them is actually still in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Uh mm-hmm. who he actually portrays Bo- Bert Morisot. There's a portrait of Bert Morisot that Edouard Monet did for her because um there was this suspicion that Manet, Edouard Monet was in love with her because they are to this day uh there are 14 paintings of Bert Morisot painted by Edouard Monet. Mm-hmm. Uh but the only way for him to keep her close just to know a little bit, I, I don't want to talk a lot about Manet but just to give a bit of um, the story is that he was so obsessed with Bert that he painted it 14 times and in order to have her close because he also believed in her talent he uh, introduced his brother Eugene Manet and they got married and also because at that time the reason why they couldn't get married is because Edouard Manet was already married to another, another lady but um, I think it was very interesting when I was li- li- like if you google her art I think there are more more than 400 uh, paintings or works of, of her throughout museums and all across the world. Some of them are in the States, in the National Gallery, some of them are in the Impressionism Museum in Paris and Museum of Orsay. Um, there is, uh, there's another museum in Paris as well. I, no, I, I don't think it's in Paris, but it's the museum where they have the water lilies of Monet. I think that is Musee of Marmottan. Mm-hmm. I, I maybe, again, I mispronounce it, but it's a very famous museum as well because that's where you can see all the uh, Claude Monet water lilies. So that's where you can see also her work. Um, the reason why, again, you see her paintings and you see that the progression from the way that she was painting just landscapes to what impressionism is and i, I was very fascinated because when the art historian was t- is talking about the conference in her technique it was very hard and for any painter to do the type of technique with, you know, the clothes, the contrast of the, say, greeneries and yeah. black colors and tones. It was very hard th- at that time to master that technique to the contrast of paintings, of shadows, of grays, of flowers. And she did it very well. She did excel in that. Probably because, you know, not only she had the the talent, but at the same time, she was really well prepared. And she very well pursued that. She, like I said before, at that Salon of Paris, she... Um, presented many of her works way earlier than uh, Monet. I think a couple years earlier than Monet. But yet again, what you hear about more nowadays is like, oh, the dancer of Degas, even Monet himself, you see a lot of paintings, but you don't see a lot of recognition of her or even Cassad, the other woman who is recognized after the three great dams. So I think I was very interesting to, you know, bring her to the table. I mean, if you're an art connoisseur or even if you are interested in Impressionism or even art, especially women in art, it's not it's something that you don't hear a lot. I mean, sure, me as a Mexican I can say Frida Kahlo, who don't worry, I'll talk about her, I <laughs> will. But it uh I just wanted to bring Bert Morisot because needless to say, going a little bit back to with Frida Kahlo, pretty much everyone knows who Frida Kahlo is. Yeah. And rightly so. But not a lot of people know about Bert Morisot and what she did with impressionism even what i read in another piece of article they were saying oh, claude uh, claude monet the father of Impressionists. and i was like she actually painted that before and not only that at the same time there are there's this uh german painter called munch who he was in the earlier earlier 20th century who actually i'm not going to say they even uh, not i'm not going to say he copied her style, but you can see the influence mm. that he got from Morisot's painting and artwork. You can see it in his painting mm. as well. So it's very interesting uh, to see.
0: well, like impressionism. Like I would imagine, like that is quite, um, like there would have been many painters, well-known painters gathering, discussing, Yes. you know, different forms. Like this is a very much an art form. And, yes. you know, she would have been, I'd imagine now correct me if I'm wrong excluded from that from these circles of painters who are who are discussing different art forms and so she just had to pursue it herself and yeah you know in one way she was lucky she got access to other masters exactly but like I would imagine there would have been massive social limitation on her to progress herself in art because women didn't do art like you know as you said it was a hobby and uh no, like no, absolutely. to develop to develop a technique by yourself without that network of all these other artists available to like just chat to or meet up with or whatever it must you know like it takes a lot of grit to do that i think absolutely. a lot of
1: information i will say that probably is because she was very lucky she was very lucky to be you know to be highborn in a way to have A family with means that they and also not only a family with means but a family who believe in her and a family who want her to pursue okay fine you want to be a painter be a painter so I think she was very lucky but at the same time I think she was very um she really wanted to pursue her career and she was lucky as well maybe not luck but she was very well connected hence the reason why thanks to her relationship friend uh friendship with uh, Edouard Manet, yeah. she was able to be involved in that. And because of that, she was recognized not as a woman b- being a painter, but as an artist, her, artist herself. So I really praise that about her, that they recognized her. However, I, I really am saddened to, now that I, you know, the more I learn, see that there's only three women who are considered as the great dames of Impressionism, which I'm pretty sure there were far more than that who were pursuing. Well, maybe, maybe not... Uh, A lot, like you were saying, there were a lot of struggles. And I was also reading as well that the first wave of feminism or women's right just started in France in 1880. So in 1880, she was very much alive. But again, being the person that she was, she was pursuing her career. Yeah, um, but you cannot say that you know they were trying to fight for women's right at that time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm very. I was very interested in to you know see what kind of art she bring. The you know the 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 technique she had, and obviously. Um, a lot of uh, people from a lot of art historians were discussing that you can tell that from the paintings that she did, she had a lot of influence from 17th century paintings or even 16th century paintings. She crafts from those paintings to hers, but they she transcends them just like other paintings in the 20th century from her paintings. So yeah. I'm really happy. I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, there are a lot of female artists out there who reserve, deserve recognition. And she, I do, I do believe that she was a pioneer on that wave of art, of that expression of art. And she should be recognized. Like, it shouldn't be just say, oh, it's just Degas and Monet or Monet. If you want to only talk about the big names or the big, you know, who were big game at that time. But also her. And... What did the, um, what did the crit- art critics
0: say at the time? Did they what did they like if she showed in salons and stuff what were they
1: saying Honestly, about from what i read it was good critiques i don't think i i, I honestly from what i read it was all oh, they were praising her they and the other thing was that they were always uh, always inviting artists when i mean if your painting was selected to be in the salon you will bring it to yeah. the salon it will be exhibit it will be a yearly thing but she will always bring uh from what i read Twenty to ten pieces of art yearly. She was she you will not go to these exhibitions. Prolific then. Yeah, she was very prolific. She was very busy. Like she will never stop painting. Even there's a story there that when she married Eugène Manet, they went on a honeymoon in the island of White in uh, White, I think it's pronounced.
0: Island
1: yeah. Yeah, Isle of White in in the UK. And even there, she brought a a small canvas with her to keep painting. And there are artwork of that. uh, There are pieces of art of she painting her husband in the hotel at the bay, in the you know, in, in that island. And it's so fascinating to me that she never stopped painting until, well, until she uh, sadly died at the age of 54. But even when she gave birth to her daughter Julie, she kept painting like non-stop. She will paint Julie, she will paint her nieces, she will paint her family, she will paint landscape. And even um she will paint uh also her husband but they were saying that i I just i I definitely going to share in the footnotes that conference but you can tell that the woman um art historian who is bringing that presentation she was so fattened with uh how describing the picture and and she in her profession, as I, I'm not really like literate when it comes to art historian, I only took one subject in high school, but uh, mm-hmm. it was very interesting the, the way that she was describing how the way that she will, you know, she will do her strokes and the colors. It was so hard, like at that time, it was so hard to do. And yeah. another controversial thing she discussed and she showed the painting there's this painting that Morisot did. Morisot, as I said, she married uh, Eugène Manet she never even though she took the the her married name legally and in the marriage certificate in her paintings she was always uh you know signed them as Maury. so she kept her maiden name because for her it was yeah it was very interesting it was very uh, even at that time in the 19th century it was very interesting because not only that her her husband eugene manet stopped working he wanted her he wanted to support his wife so he stayed at home, taking care, well, with the north taking care of Julie, and he allowed um, Bert Morisot to keep pursuing her career. So she, st- to that time, she still paint and everything while he stayed at home taking care of the daughter. Like, he, like I, I would imagine a bit of that
0: comes from having a brother who was an artist, so understanding the temperament and how... Yeah. an art artist needs to keep painting no matter what like they need to keep painting um but I'm like what was the like I am not very good with art it is one of my many failings As <laughs> like visually I am just not great and like was the subject matter of her art I'd imagine it would be very similar to yes the, her male counterparts because like they are quite like their people or landscapes or, you know, but done with, with, as you said, that very difficult technique, like, you know, once that technique is mastered. But so I would imagine the subject would be quite similar. Like the paintings would be very similar or were they not? Because obviously at that point, men and women had completely different spheres. Yeah. um, And they lived and did everything and like separately at the time so like what were they the same or were
1: they different i honestly from what i've seen uh she liked to portray femininity she liked to portray there's this very famous painting she did of a woman in a toilet. it's a woman getting ready with a toilet, and from the painting you cannot see like even if you google you you cannot see if the woman is in her undergarments or just wearing just getting ready for a ball because she painted what she knew she would paint it was around her social circle yeah. so obviously women in like high dresses like very poised very like she will also paint a lot about uh, her sister with her niece like playing and playing fetch in a garden uh her daughter julie landscapes i think it was from what i seen and from what they were describing in that conference she was painting what she knew she was painting what it was around her yeah. and Another thing that I was very interesting that you can tell the talent she had is that from the recollection that they were saying at the conference that she will paint what she will see at the time that she's seeing that imagery. Whereas that it was very common in one of the techniques in Impressionism, if there was any, I don't know, body involved as a either a man, a, a male or female figure in the painting, it will be very much like you paint the scenery outside of say a garden and then you will bring that canvas to your studio where you will have a model staying there and Mm -hmm. you know then later on painted the model whereas from what I understood from what the art historian was discussing was that more so paint what she sees as if there is a landscape with women or whatever she will paint it right there Mm -hmm. and i just thought that was very interesting that you know the technique or even the talent to just grab that imagery in her head and just keep painting uh she never stopped painting and she painted basically from the early ages when she was in her 20s back to when she was until in her fifties, when she passed, uh, passed away. There is a quote that, um, one of the, what there were some people who were saying that she was maybe an early, an early feminist by this quote from a letter that she wrote to her mother. So Bird is saying in the, in the letter, I don't think there has ever been a man who treated a woman as an equal. And that's all I will have asked for. I know I am worth as much as they are. Yeah. So uh that's actually it's a quote from more so a Morrisos diary uh so i think that was very interesting and she definitely did see herself as equal and she pursued
0: definitely. and i get like i guess you know you know she did have a career in it and you know she was there it's like it's such a pity she's not there in any of the like, not Annie, but like, in all of, as you said, impressionism, as soon as anybody says that, you think of the big names, and they're all yeah. men, men, like, and she was clearly there. Exactly. <laughs> not, now it's not
1: visible, you know. It's it is buddy. not because... Yeah, exactly, and it's not because like in the case of her sister, sure, they sisters, they got married and then they stopped painting. Fine, that was their choice or that was what society di- dictated of them. But for her, she was very important. I'm not. I'm gonna keep painting, so she never stopped painting. Like I said, back when she was bringing in Paris and the, the salons, the, those pictures, those are the, the, she will she will bring paintings every time. Like she always wanted to bring something fresh, and they are. Uh, there is another art historian who, when he was describing her self-portrait, because she was one of the few who will also do a self-portrait of her, and it's a self-portrait when you see her, like, facing you with her canvas and her painting, and you see the, the dress that she's wearing, and she is wearing, there's flowers in her dresses, but not like a flower print, but actual flowers in her dresses. And this person was saying, for more so those flowers are her medals so it's like a military person instead of you know instead of having yeah. medals the flowers were her con- uh, like her her medals so i thought that was very beautiful very interesting so <laughs> i really i really welcome everyone to you know i mean if you're in a museum where i think actually i was checking in the national um art gallery in in here in dublin i think they have her work not i don't know if it now but they had had it before from what i read uh and a lot of places in the States, uh, there's, as I said, in, in Paris as well. Um, and yeah, I really welcome, even if you just want to Google them, just Google her paintings and you will see that it's it's a, it's pure Impressionism. And mm-hmm. she was a pioneer of them. And I think it's important to recognize it and bring it to the table and people to know more about her. And it makes me, you know, now that I know about more about her and what she did, Uh, I think I want to also, you know, discover, you know, more female artists as like you were saying yourself with Sultana, like she's a female rapper, even in this modern age, there's still not a lot of female rappers, regardless of what part of the world you are. So I think it's important to recognize the artistry that female that, that women bring. So one of them in your case was Sultana, who is very much alive. And uh, Bert Morisot, so I think it's important to remember that she was a pioneer in her artistry and impressionism. And I just want to keep, you know, looking and digging if we're all, with other female artists in the past were and nobody, you know, is talking about them. And but going back to what I can remember from my history class, I don't think I mean, again, I'm not talking about putting aside Frida Kahlo because obviously she's really world renowned. There's not how, how many uh, female artists, do you know, painters even or whatever. Just not many. Yeah, I I honestly don't. I cannot think of anyone aside from this two. Well, now this the, the other two women from Impressionism.
0: Yeah, I guess it's um yeah the big. You always know the big names, you know. Even if you don't, if you're not really into art history or art itself, you still know big names, you know. Um yeah, that's uh, like definitely worth looking into it more and you know acknowledging that, having awareness of the fact that you know they. They are not visible out there to and to try and look them up, as you said.
1: hmm Yeah. So that's my story. This is the story, uh the um summarized story of Bert Morrisov's work. So as I said, I welcome anyone to Google her, see her art, uh, appreciate her technique, and yeah, just recognize her as the woman she was at that time. And cheers to her. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. It is really refreshing. I just I'm 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 actually on my second round for this cocktail but this time I made a mocktail so I didn't include the vodka and it's actually quite nice yeah it's tasty the the mint works yeah it does doesn't it yeah so what an interesting
0: episode I think yeah um, so two artists two female artists trying to sell in a male-dominated industry (laughs) yes Um, so You know, uh, really, really interesting. Thanks, Priscilla, for bringing birth. I really enjoyed that. It was something a bit different. I hadn't really heard about it before, so I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much.
1: No problem. I I hope I made justice of her work. If not, like I said, we're going to bring, we're going to share all the footnotes for our Fantastic Women. And we have been uh, Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. So, uh, fortunately now you can pretty much listen to us in any platform you like. We're on Spotify, Apple podcast, radio public, and many, many more or whatever you listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you want to email us and you know, anything that we might have forgotten or any corrections, or if there's any fantastic women out there that, you know, you will like us to talk more about it, please email us at, fantasticwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We also are now on social media in our Facebook page with the same name, Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast. We also have an Instagram account named Fantastic Women pod. So we are, we really welcome you to follow us on our social media and please email us. And if you are on the Apple Podcasts or any podcast that can rate us, please rate us. We really appreciate your comments. And I don't know, Trey, is there anything else we should plug or anything else you want to say? No, that's it. I think uh, do let us know if you're out
0: there and want to say anything to us and um, do follow us and
1: listen more. Tell your friends. Yep. Well, with that, I think it's good to. It's time to go and enjoy the sun. So everyone, see you in the next one. See you.